following message was delivered at Bible Baptist Church in Dickinson, North Dakota. All right, starting in verse 9, it says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorried, sorrowed unto repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this self th same thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all these things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this manner. Um, we're picking up where we left off this morning. We've already talked about carefulness, clearing, and indignation. But I'll jump right in on fear. Definition of fear is the passion of our nature that excites us to provide for our security on the approach of evil. That's an important thing. It's, um, fear does not make us cringe and run away. Fear means that we need to uh, build up our defenses, build up our, our strength to uh, when uh, the uh, floods come to the eastern part of the state, um, those, those people, they put out the sandbags and they, they pile things up in expectation that um, the, the floods are going to come. Um, and God wants us to have a godly fear that evil approaching us may get its way through. Um, look in your Bible, if you would, at 1 Corinthians. We're still in 7. Just back up to verse 1. It says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What we need to do is in the fear of God. Now, we realize that the fear of God is not uh, a terror about God. Um, the, the other day um, we were um, driving down the road. Josiah was doing the driving and I was in the um, passenger seat fussing at him about his driving, which I do on a regular basis. Uh, but he glanced up in his rearview mirror and he thought he saw a police car um, right behind him. And so Josiah was following the rules and, and doing everything he should and, and, and all that. And that's what, what the fear of the Lord is, is knowing the, the presence and the power of God in our lives. When that policeman is back there, we know his presence is there. We know his power. He can write a ticket and take away our money. Uh, and cause our insurance rates to increase and, and all kinds of things like that. Um, and we know that if, if that's the case, then we ought to be uh, aware. And so if we drive with an awareness in that situation, our lives ought to be the same as far as when God knows what we're doing 
and God is aware of ha- what we're, we're having uh, in our lives to, uh, to obey, knowing his presence and his power should make us walk with more carefulness. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's not a, oh, I want to stay away from it. It's, I want to please him. And, you know, isn't that, uh, isn't that the way it should be? Instead of uh, being afraid of getting a ticket, we ought to uh, be a model uh, driver when the policeman is behind us. But God wants us to understand that um, we, if we cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, we can perfect holiness in the fear of God. The fear of God is a key in perfecting our holiness, doing what's right, doing what, what we should do, because God is always watching. God is always there to, to see us through. Look at Psalm, two, Psalm um, chapter 2, just the second psalm. Look at verse 11. It says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Um, that's an attitude. Uh, we need to, to be careful about making sure that we are aware of what God is able to do in our lives. And when evil's starting to approach, we need to fear its encroach in our lives when problems start coming our way when those kinds of things build up then we need to be uh, setting up our defenses we need to uh, be uh, arming our castle and uh, and and being ready to fight the battle Proverbs chapter 14 Proverbs 14 Look at verse 16. A wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but a fool rageth and is confident. One of the things that that we need to understand about fear uh, in this way is uh, a great defense against evil is to avoid it, (laughs) get away, go someplace. When Joseph was in the house of Potiphar and Potiphar's wife um, set her affections upon him. Um, he, he did the right thing when he fled, um, uh, leaving his coat behind uh, evidently was a necessity. Uh, he ended up in trouble, but not in the kind of trouble he would have been if he hadn't fled. And we sometimes need to, if we find ourselves in a place, in a situation, in a circumstance that isn't what, what God wants us to have, we need to be ready to flee. We need to take off or we need to, to move. Sometimes uh, evil approaches us and we haven't got a, a way of escape and we need to come up with other ways to battle it. But if escape is a, a, a clear option, feel free to take it. It's, it's what God wants and he wants us to be understanding in that area. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, 
We want to look at verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. All right? Not work to obtain your salvation. It says work out the salvation you've got. Um, I'm old. All right. I mean, Doug and Dan keep saying, ah, you think you're old. Um, but there are times when I get cramps or, or muscles that just start to hurt and I have to, I, I just have to walk it out or, or I have to, to find some way to, to get that pain to go away. I'm sure all of us have experienced something similar to that. Now, when you work out that pain, that anger, or the, or the, the, uh, uh, the problems with that, that particular muscle, it's not because you didn't have the muscle in the first place. It's because that muscle is being affected and we need to do something to fix it. Because pain is, is not something we're supposed to live in. We're supposed to be able to be free of pain. Um, but what's important is that we need to understand when evil rears its ugly head, when we see those things that are, are wrong and, and evil approaching us, we need to be careful to work our, out our salvation, to, to remember that we're saved people, that we have the power of God in our lives, and that we can go ahead and do those things that are right and show to the world how Christians handle the approach of evil. We need to be careful. Um, <laughs> there's times at work when, um, when I, I can tell by the conversation going on um, that, that they're going to go in a direction that I don't want to be around for. So that's when I make sure I go out and take care of some other equipment or do something. I'll just bail out of the, the conversation um, because a, a dirty joke or something like that is uh, working its way in. And so um, God wants us to understand that same thing, that f this fear. Now, remember, what we're talking about here is that these are the things that God provides to us with salvation. This, these are our tools that we have in order to work out and live the salvation that God has for us. And the carefulness, the clearing, the indignation, the fear, those are things that, that God puts in our lives. Now, don't... These, this list of things here is not something that we're supposed to write down on a clipboard and go around checking other people's lives at. Oh, do you have uh, cleansing? Do you have the indignation? You, you know, that's, it's not our job to do that. Our job is to work on us, all right? Um, nobody puts you in charge of taking care of anybody else's spirituality unless they are your children, and then... Good luck. Uh, uh, just work on it. Okay? But this protective fear is important. First Peter chapter 1.
First Peter one. There we go. Seventeen. First Peter chapter one, verse seventeen. <clears throat> and if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. All right, we called upon the Father when we got saved. It says, past the time that we have here on this earth, our, the time that we uh, are here to serve the Lord, but to do it with knowing that God is there and that we need, he knows if we steal the cookie. Um, God knows if we, um, if, if we walk uh, in some way that's that's wrong God knows what we look at and God knows what we hear and God knows what we see and so understanding that makes us want to live more godly because we don't want to spend all our time apologizing and asking for forgiveness but yet living a righteous life before God our fifth point is vehement desire um, I'm not going to go back to the verse and read them down there. I just want to step into this. Vehement desire is a great animated fervent longing for God and his word. This is a, something that comes along. Jesus said we love him because he first loved us. Because of salvation that God gave us, we Love the Lord. But our love doesn't get manifested near as well all the time. Sometimes we take our love for the Lord for granted. Sometimes we, we just jump into the, the little phrases, Lord, you know, we love you, Lord, and, and that. And they don't carry the meaning that they ought to have, that we ought to have a fervent. And that's why it says a vehement desire, a great animated, fervent longing for God and his word. And I find the older I get, the more fervent my desire to, to uh, be with the Lord, to, to know the Lord uh, up close and personal is, is there and in our hearts and lives. Psalm 38. Psalm 38. Look at verse 9. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. We ought to desire the things of God. We ought to desire time with the Lord. We ought to desire our, our times of fellowship with God. We ought to look forward to our times when we can study our scriptures and when we can be in the, in the presence of God and have, uh, have just that special fellowship with him that we can... We need to put the world out and put uh, all the other things on the side my my children, every single one of them had this misconception that got stuck in their mind that they could do their schoolwork better if they had music going on in the background, all right? Oh, Dad, it's good godly music. It's, it's great music. 
But to be honest, that's not when you do your best studying. You don't, uh, <clears throat> at least with me, I mean, you, you get that um, elevator music, you know, that, that goes on. The bad thing about me is I know all the words to those songs that they play in the elevator. <laughs> and so I can fill them in as we go along. But, uh, but the reality is there's a time when you need to put everything else away, when you need to put all the distractions away and just covet and, and, and spend a blessed time with God, to spend some time loving him and, and caring for him and allowing him to spend time with us. And not just, not just time, but quality time, time doing something that's worthwhile in our lives. Look at Psalm 42. Psalm 42, look at verse 1. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. That's, that's the kind of desire we should have for the Lord. Now, I haven't seen the deer go down to, um, to the watering hole very much Normally, when Doug takes me out hunting, it's always some place where they're, they're not. Uh, I've never shot one while he was drinking out of a stream or anything like that. But the truth is, when, you know, those deer running through the mountains or, or the um, bumps and, and crags that we call mountains around here, uh, basically most of them are ditches, um, because they go down from the plains. But um, as they run around and up and down in that rough terrain, they get thirsty and they desire the, that cool, clear water that, that God provides for them. We too need to spend time desiring that God be in our presence and, and to know him and his word and to, to, to find more about him and to love him more and to get the right attitude about him. It's important. Psalm 130. 130. Look at verse 6. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. <clears throat> There's times when, when sleep doesn't come easy, when we're troubled, when we have problems. And, and those are the times that we need to spend praying for God. My wife has a uh, standing rule if she gets woke up in the middle of the night and she can't go back to sleep she picks somebody to pray for and she prays for them until um, until God get, lets her go back to sleep I don't have that problem because if you give me 20 minutes I can get 18 minutes sleep um, I just drop right back off it just happens that way I go unconscious a lot um, <laughs> 
But the reality is, though, that, that there's times when our, our hearts are troubled. There are times when, when we can't, and those are the times where we need to come into the presence of God, where we need to come and ask God to help us and to deal with those situations because they're so desperately important in our, uh, in our lives. And, then, and to have that desire that we fellowship with God during those times, that we come out of it refreshed and, and knowing that God loves us and cares for us. So what vehement desire, what zeal. Zeal is a passionate ardor, eager desire to obtain or accomplish God's will. All right? This zeal is... Um, <clears throat> Oftentimes, um, it's, it's what we wish we had when we were younger, <laughs> that we, when we had the, the power to carry it out. But, but the zeal doesn't, is not based upon our, our abilities to, to work these things. Our zeal is that desire, that passionate ardor inside of us that makes us eager to obtain or accomplish whatever God's will for us is. And, and many of us need to, to spend some time seeking God's will. 2 Corinthians 9. Second Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse 2. Paul's talking here and he says, For I know the frowardness of your mind. <clears throat> for which I boast of you to them in Macedonia and Achaia. <clears throat> what? Uh, okay, let me try this again. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain on the, in this behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready. He says he's talking to other people about your zeal. What it was was there was the church in Jerusalem was going through some really tough times here, and they needed help. And so um, the churches that Paul and Barnabas were establishing out in the world Many of them desired to send an offering to those in Jerusalem to help them out, to, to help them deal with the problems, and they wanted to, to do that. And the folks here in Corinth, um, they said, yeah, we want to do that. Yeah, we want to carry it out. But Paul knew that they were pretty fleshly people. And he, he basically uh, comes through and says, hey, you guys had a zeal, and I'm bragging on you for your zeal. Now, when I show up, be ready, <laughs> all right? Let that zeal not just be uh, empty words that were spoken in the air, but let that zeal be something real and genuine that you're going to carry out, that you're going to follow through with, that you're going to do those things um, that, are, that you've promised to do and that your desire to be a help, your desire to be a blessing is a true and genuine act on your part. Uh, look, if you would, at Psalm 119. Psalm 
Psalm 119, we want to look at verse 139. It says, My zeal hath consumed me, because my enemies have forgotten thy words. When we look at this world and how little they know of God, how little they, they care about the things of God, it should frustrate us to a degree. And we should desire to be the ones who, who bring up God in our conversations, who mention the, the things that God has done for us and the, and the workings of the Lord and the, the way things ought to be uh, handled because of God. I knew those two sitting together were going to cause trouble. <laughs> no. Uh, God wants us to have a zeal. God wants us to just be able to stand up and say, yes, I love the Lord. I serve the Lord. The Lord is my God. And people ought to see in us a fact that, that you know, what are you? I'm a Christian. No. We... We ought, it ought to be obvious. We ought to tell everybody. Now, there's a danger that comes with that because if we tell everybody that we're Christians and if we don't um, live the life that goes along with it, then we can be a poor testimony. We can be a bad example. Um, God doesn't want it that way. God, God's got it planned out that we, with our zeal, in... In, in wise control, all right? We don't need to, to show up for work tomorrow morning and say, praise Jesus, I'm saved all day long, you know? Uh, we, we need to do our job. We, we need to be faithful about it. We need to carry on uh, being what God wants us to be. But don't shun the fact that we're God's children, and that we have a love and a desire to please our God and to, and to serve him faithfully. Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, let's look at verse 16. This is Paul at Athens again. It says, Now Paul, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred up in him when he saw the city given wholly to idolatry. Therefore disputed he, with the, in the, disputed he in the synagogues with the Jews and with the devout persons and the, in the market daily with them that met with him. And certain philosophers of the Epicureans and Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? <clears throat> Others some uh, he seemeth to be a to he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Paul saw these people in idolatry and and he got excited. He, he said, okay, this is, this is where we start. All right, your idolatry is wrong. 
You need to listen. You need to, to hear. There is a true and living God, the God that created everything. And his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross that we might have eternal life. And what you're doing is not working. What you're doing is, is empty uh, religion. What you're doing is not accomplishing things. And so they say, well, what about this? And Paul had answers for him. Paul had good godly answers for him. And so he, they were amazed at his zeal for the things of God. They could see what was going on, and they knew that he cared, that he, um, he was the kind of man that would represent God and represent him well. The last point I want to make is revenge, all right? Revenge is vindication by the punishment of an enemy in the spiritual sense, it is giving the Lord the reins of our desire to see those who have harmed us suffer for their evils. We want to get back at people, don't we? I mean, 90%, no, probably um, barely less than 100% of action movies that come out of Hollywood are revenge movies. You know, uh, somebody shot my wife, I'm going to go kill them. Um, that, and that makes it righteous. That makes it good. That makes it the way it ought to be. And God said, no, God said, no, vengeance is mine. I am the Lord. Look at Psalm 35. Psalm 35, starting in verse 11. False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned unto mine own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. But in mine adverse adversity, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and cease not. Paul says, or, or excuse me, uh, this is David. Uh, David said, you know, listen. <laughs> I had people who were against me, people who were my enemies. But when they fell into trouble, <clears throat> I, didn't, I, I didn't rejoice. I didn't uh, have a party that their lives were in misery. I mourned with them and I, and I grieved with them. You know, what affects this world more than anything else is true, genuine, heartfelt compassion that we can share with others, whether they, and, and we're best with those who don't like us. That's the ones that we can really affect the most. God wants us to, to show forth his care and his love and, 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 and to, to be there and not to, not to dance around on the graves of those who've uh, who've caused us problems. It's not our job to, to avenge. 
And the greatest vengeance that can be wrought on somebody who did us evil is for them to get saved and to start living for God. Wouldn't that be a, a tremendous blessing? Um, wouldn't it, you know, we, we talk about, oh, well, we wanted to, uh, we wanted to find and kill Saddam Hussein. Um, they, they were, uh, there was much rejoicing at the, um, when they, uh, found Hitler dead in the bunker and, and those kinds of things. Wouldn't it, wouldn't, if, if the circumstances worked out to see those people instead repent of the sins and the wickedness that they'd done and to, to give their hearts to the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean they don't deserve the consequences of it, all right? These people on death row that get saved, if they've, if they've committed the crime, then the consequences need to be there. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we could see <clears throat> by our working in, in the lives of those who have, have hurt us, those who have harmed us, those who have, have caused great grief in our lives, to see them turn to God and get saved, to see them living a life for the Lord, to see them instead of being an enemy to us to become a brother or sister in Christ. That would be a wonderful thing. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, look at verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. God is in charge of vengeance, not us. God is the one who will even out the scores. God's the one who's going to justly and righteously judge this world. And we're going to find that if we, if we go on a, a rampage of vengeance on our own, that we're going to find ourselves dissatisfied, that we're not going to do a, the right job. We're not, it's not going to be done the way it should because it's not our job. It's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to give it to God. We're supposed to turn the reins over to him. We're to say, God, you take care of it. You deal with this thing. Now, it doesn't change the fact that we've been hurt, that we've been damaged, that things have happened in our lives. But the most important key to it all is that God knows exactly what that situation needs. If they don't turn to God, if they don't get saved, if they don't jump in and follow the Lord, then God's going to take care of vengeance in a much better way than we would. So we need to make sure that we leave it with him. Look at Nahum. Nahum chapter 1, look at verse 2. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. 
The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he receive and <clears throat> excuse me, and he receiveth wrath for his enemies. He reserveth wrath for his enemies. That's the problem. I can't read. He reserveth wrath for his enemies. Now God is totally and completely capable of handling things by himself. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to be his instruments to carry out um, the, the things that, that need to be um, handled in this area of revenge. We need, there's a peace that comes from this. So let's, let's look at this. When we get saved, a born-again child of God in his heart will have a carefulness a care for the right things of God, the, a care to do those things which are good, uh, a care to have vigilance in guarding against evil, a clearing, a purifying, a desire to cleanse out the, the sin from our lives, an indignation, a, an anger with, with the things of sin that, that, that corrupt us so easily, a fear um, the, of, in our lives of the approach of evil and wanting to, to put up some barriers so that evil doesn't make it to us and our family. A vehement desire, a, a built-in love for God that we need to, to, to stoke and, and, and to feed and, and to um, work with every day. And a zeal, a passion to serve the Lord and a revenge that we turn over to God, uh, something that we give to him to take care of. This is part of the tool set that God gives the Christian so that we can go forth with our lives and use these things that he's given us to follow him better. God wants us to be well prepared to serve him, to follow him, to love him. And he's given us the tools necessary to do the job. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this message, or if you would like information about our church, please visit us online at bbcdickinson.com.